0: Hello, this is Greg Pock, and you are listening to the podcast. A few months ago, I ran a Kickstarter for a digital book of Kickstarter advice called Kickstarter Secrets, which is slated for release at the end of the month. You can pre-order it right now at kickstarter-secrets.com. As stretch goals for that book, I interviewed a number of amazing Kickstarter creators. Now, I'm running those interviews as a podcast series right here on the Podcast. Today's interview is with Hope Nicholson, who's run four successful comics kickstarters and is in the middle of a fifth, even as we speak. Hope's got great thoughts about reaching niche audiences, the advantages of working on anthology projects, and the specific challenges of shipping out of Canada. Hope's previous projects include Nelvana and Brock Windsor, reprints of classic Canadian comics, and The Secret Lives of Geek Girls, an anthology of true stories about love, romance, and sex that features cartoons by Margaret Atwood. Her latest Kickstarter project is A Minion Yidden, a graphic novel by Trina Robbins and 14 artists based on Robbins' father's stories. You can find Hope at HopeNicholson.com and Hope L. Nicholson on Twitter, and do check out her latest project on Kickstarter. And here we go thrilled to be talking today with Hope Nicholson uh, uh, about uh, Kickstarter stuff. Hope is one of uh, one of the folks who has done um, a large number of uh, comics Kickstarters, been involved in different capacities with different Kickstarters and done a variety of different kinds of Kickstarters. Also, uh, she's also done Kickstarters out of Canada, so she's got a pretty interesting variety of experiences, and I'm really excited to talk to her about it. So, thank you so much, Hope, for uh, being willing to, to to talk for the Kickstarter secrets book
1: yeah thank you for having me
0: (laughs) so um, if I'm remembering correctly we first met years ago when you were doing interviews for a documentary you were doing about Canadian superheroes and at the time I was working for Alpha Flight uh, or working on Alpha Flight with Fred Van Lenty for Marvel Um, and then within a within a year or two of after that I um you launched a Kickstarter for uh am I right was Nelvana your first Kickstarter
1: Yes, that's
0: correct. Yeah, so, um, uh, and, and so that was a Kickstarter uh, kind of following that same theme. It was uh, a, 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 a restoration and a reprint of stories about a, uh, a, 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 a sort of um, early Canadian super heroine. Um, so I was just curious, could you tell us a little bit about how, I mean, how that started? What? I mean, what, uh, what, what, um, what, how was it that you picked Kickstarter as the way to, to fund that? And, and how did that how did that project come together? And what made Kickstarter the right choice for it?
1: I think I had heard about Kickstarter um, about a year before I decided to launch the campaign. I had seen various friends do it for film projects and uh, have good success on it. And for me, I couldn't do it for Nelvan and Northern Lights even when I wanted to because uh, there was no uh, availability in Canada. So at that point... There, um, when there, they opened-
0: I'm sorry. There was no one in
1: Canada. Availability. Their oh. There was available to Canadians. Oh, of right.
0: Of course. Right.
1: Yeah. So uh, as soon as they announced that they were, I was like, "Oh, okay. Now maybe this project that I've had in mind for a while can actually get off the ground." And uh, I had been licensing images of Newfoundland Northern Lights for a documentary I was a producer on called "Lost Heroes," uh, which we also interviewed you for, and. I knew where the rights were held. I knew how to actually get the copyright licenses, and I knew how to get the original comics themselves, which you know no one had really known how to do. So I asked a friend of mine to help me out on the project, and yeah,
0: so, launched
1: the Kickstarter and was funded in a few days.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and that was, uh, I, I mean, that was amazing and impressive. And um, uh, so it was your first Kickstarter, and you had a pretty high ask. I think it was like twenty-five grand, right? And you ended up more than doubling that um what and uh so i'm i'm curious about that like how did uh how did the um how did that how did you how did you do come up with the amount that you wanted to ask for and and what kind of uh what kind of work did you do to 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 have the confidence or feel that that was a reasonable ask like what was the uh what was your thinking what was your what was your strategy for making that kind of um making that kind of a, a of a target um
1: yeah, so for the project, I basically just looked up into the cost to produce the product as I wanted it to look. So I contacted a print broker I knew who helped me get some prices, uh, and I described the look of the book I wanted. I wanted high-quality paper, sewn binding, hardcover, all of that uh, material. And um, yeah, and also added shipping to the cost. Shipping from Canada is expensive, and at the time I went with market rates. Mm-hmm. And yeah, talent came up with twenty five thousand.
0: gotcha. so uh, and and then, um and were you confident that you could hit that or or uh, like what kinds of um what had you done sort of uh, in the lead up to that to kind of build up the audience that you felt you would need in order to to hit that kind of target?
1: Well, one thing I did is I asked a lot of uh, friends of mine who I knew were artists if they could contribute artwork and pinups in no Northern Lights. because right. I didn't have any actual fan base or anything myself, if I could leverage their fan bases, there was a better chance of it getting funded. Uh, in addition to that, I also contacted a few press outlets and to have press releases to various people and companies and did a few events leading up to the launch.
0: Um, so with the press, did you did you just do that on your own and was that based on contacts you already had or, or did, you, did you hire a publicist or how did you work that?
1: I looked up contacts and built a publicist list.
0: So was that right? And so that was that from your previous work. You had you had been building up those contacts, and and uh, or or was or did you uh, kind of work, how much of it was starting from scratch, and how much was uh, previous relationships?
1: Well, I had a bit of contacts uh, from Lost Heroes when I was doing a little bit of press from that, but by and large, it was mostly by scratch. I was actually really excited to have the opportunity to work more directly in the marketing aspects and the PR aspects of it because it was something that appealed to me. Cool. So I just spent a lot of time looking uh, through different comic press sites and getting contact info. And just, at the time, I kind of did it in a way that I wouldn't do now, in which I just sent out a mass press release to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, the concept was interesting enough that a lot of press actually ended up approaching me later to write uh, content on the project.
0: Right. Um, if you were starting from scratch again with no context, would you would you do it the same way or would you do it differently in terms of sending out that press release?
1: I think I would try to do more individual messages to press to explain the project, make it a bit more personalized uh, uh, than just sending out a message. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Right, right, right. Um, I thought it was also interesting the way you said that. Like you were, you were kind of interested in tackling the press aspect of it. A lot of people find that kind of scary. Do you? <laughs> is there any? Uh, do you think there's a? Did, what? What made you interested in it? And, and uh, what advice do you have for people who might be intimidated by that that part of the whole process?
1: I well, it's something that interests me because that's kind of the more focused area of publishing that I like. Is the coordination, the publicity, the marketing, etc. The actual editing and creative aspects in the restoration wasn't really as much of an interest, even though I knew I had to do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so just working together with spreadsheets and looking up content and then sending out the material is kind of neat to see what kind of impact that would have. Even for my current campaign, um, it was really neat to be able to just like send out a newsletter and just kind of wait to see what kind of effect that would have.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I can sympathize I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fun in that kind of stuff uh, for me too I think like if you're gonna run a Kickstarter you have to sort of be able to embrace that and sort of enjoy that whole part of uh, that kind of promotion part of it because it's so it's so key um, so you sent out so you sent out press you got you got press and then I your your idea of like um, Using other, uh, like having folks involved with the project who had their own fan bases, that was, that, that's just really smart. And you've done other projects that are anthology projects that kind of work similarly, right? Was that kind of part of your thinking from the beginning with the anthology projects?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think a few people had done anthologies by the time I did mine, so it had already been established as something that uh, could be successful on Kickstarter. So I had a concept that I had wanted to do for a while as a uh, TV show actually, and it didn't get picked up, but it was very easily transferable to a comic book, um, graphic novel collection. So I did that and actually worked out really well, which usually does not when you're switching between mediums.
0: (laughs) Um, That also uh, inspires another question because when I first met you, you were working in film and you've, you've clearly done stuff in film. Um, but I think all of your Kickstarters have been publishing Kickstarters so far, am I right? Yeah. Have you ever thought about uh, doing a film Kickstarter or a document or a Kickstarter for a documentary or a film project?
1: Uh, well, it turns out it's a lot easier to publish a book than it is to make a film. <laughs> so that's the main reason why I haven't. It would cost um, a lot more funds for one thing. And the other thing is I've had a lot of trouble uh, getting people to be attached to documentary projects enough to be able to see any kind of measurable results. And so because of that, I guess I was kind of disheartened on the whole medium and having something that I could really control most of the aspects of myself and that I didn't have to look for a director and things like that to do most of the work was uh, very exciting.
0: Gotcha. Oh, right. So when you say people attached, do you mean like getting a director and cinematographer on board, et cetera, uh, like that would be a more challenging thing than finding folks to contribute to a comics anthology. Is that, is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, exactly. And if one person drops out of a comics anthology, it's not usually that big of a deal because it's usually another thirty people, you know, involved in the project or so. Right. Uh, the only big thing w- that would be a problem is if, say, your designer starts to not be able to pull their weight. Um, mm. I've had okay luck though with designers so far.
0: That's good. Have you? <laughs> do you have any advice for uh, finding uh, different vendors and 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 folks to work with, uh, like, like your designer and anybody else, like? um how did you uh how did you go about recruiting the folks that you ended up working with and figuring out who was going to be the right match
1: for nelvana the designer was the brother of a friend of mine and he had heard about the project he had worked with penguin random house and other publishing companies for quite some time and he offered to lend his expertise because when talking about the project it was clear that i was like a little bit out of my depth in terms of oh, no, how am I actually going to get all this artwork together and send it to the printer or choose a printer? Mm-hmm. So he really helped in there and helped out a lot in uh, explaining the different printer terms, what we were looking for, who to approach, things like that. Gotcha. That was very useful. And he put together Nelvana and Brock Windsor. Um, the third project, Secret Loves of Heat Girls, one of the contributors actually offered to be the designer of the project. So that worked out quite well as well. And at that point, I started to look at other printers. Uh, so Brock Windsor and Secret Loves Geek Girls were by a different printer in Montreal called Marquis. Yeah. That was because I had a bad experience um, with the printer for Nelvana. So.
0: Okay, yeah. I've used Marquis for all my projects, although when I first started, they were called Les Bonfonds. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they've been, uh, they've, been, they've been very good for, uh, for the different, different books I've done, too. Um, well,
1: I've, uh, I've started experiencing um, experimenting with different printers now. So there's uh, one that I just printed a book with called Webcom. Uh-huh. That's based in Toronto, uh-huh. and it was uh, it was very good in terms of customer service and in terms of speed. Quality was pretty good, though. I would say that um, definitely I would go with Marquee again if that was like a strong consideration.
0: Gotcha. Um, so the uh, so your your, so the designer, was, was your designer then prepping all the files and, and putting the whole thing together to the printer specs and all of that? Was that the person who did that technical stuff in the end?
1: Yeah, exactly. I have the InDesign program, but I basically know just enough to be able to edit mistakes if uh, something goes wrong and the designer is not available. But um, by and large, uh, that software is kind of completely unknown to me, <laughs> It'd be yeah. nice if, if I knew how to use it. Um, and for my last project, which was not through Kickstarter, I actually hired a professional design firm instead and uh, was pleased with the results, though. Again, you get what you pay for, and I paid a good amount, and the quality looked amazing.
0: Gotcha. Um, so then uh, when it – when so you're so you're in the middle of the campaign and um, you've done all the, the press and you've gotten your various contributors to – coordinate for the launch and you've gotten the word out, um, uh, what do you do uh, as you get into the middle part of the campaign for these Kickstarters? Because that's always like the kind of dead time. You know you're going to have a big spike at the beginning if you plan things yeah. well. You know you're going to have a spike at the end because that's when people start paying attention again. What do you do in those middle weeks? Like the, you know, the, uh, do, you, do you have any, have you developed any strategies for that over the, over the years?
1: I don't really having strong strategies with um Nelvan and Brock Windsor and Love Ski Girls, I was very lucky because around the first week or so it was completely funded. Yeah. So the middle part didn't really matter as much because I'd reached the goal. And I always uh think that if people are pushing too much after you reach the goal, um sometimes I can have a negative impact, but I think that's also just uh up to everyone's discretion. Mm-hmm. So I usually do a bit of press, keep people updated. If I have new content, which I usually do, I share it, keep people involved. But only in the last few projects has it been where, oh, I'm really not even meeting the goal at the halfway point. And that point, I really kind of buckled down and tried to think of innovative new ways to get people's attention and get more people um, funding the campaign.
0: Yeah. What What are some of those? Uh, what, what were some of those strategies?
1: Um, For fashion action, something I tried that did not work but that I don't regret trying was to reach out to traditional uh, print journalists and that who worked in fashion who also had an interest in comics. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think a single article resulted from that outreach, unfortunately, but it was worth a shot. Mm -hmm. Other things that I did was ask people who had uh, more followers than me who I already had a personal relationship with if they would mind just retweeting out the campaign and providing them with a link. And uh, yeah, I think Sarah Richard also helped out. She's one of the contributors for Fashion Action. She actually increased her commission slot by two slots, and that was a big help near the end. Uh,
0: so, so with um, t- so now you have just launched uh, a brand new Kickstarter. Um, it's the uh, am I right? It's the the second mm-hmm. volume of Moonshot.
1: Oh no no no. Um, I mean, I'm the editor on that, but I'm just a freelance editor. Oh, I,
0: okay, gotcha. So you're not, you're not, so that they are, oh, I see. So there's a, so you're not, that's not like your Kickstarter then.
1: No, no. But uh, unfortunately, well, I guess not unfortunately, but Kickstarter and other media kind of seem to brand the campaign because I am the editor of it with my name. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I'm against that is because I do my own campaigns that I don't want people to think that I'm running two consecutively just because. I'm hired as a freelancer on one.
0: I get it. All right. So tell me yeah. about the the one that you're doing under your own your own aus- auspices right now.
1: Uh, it's a bit of a risky one, but I feel like every project I do is risky in a different way. And sometimes that works out quite well. Like The Secret Loves of Geek Girls was my first anthology and it ended up being massively successful. Uh, and sometimes not so well. Fashion Action was 1980s American Reprint, which was far out of my usual wheelhouse, and it uh, just barely made over its goal near the end. Um, and I suspect it'll be similar for this one as well, because a lot of the people involved in this project are older artists mm-hmm. uh, who don't have as much of a social media following and that, and that really does kind of impact the project a bit, because it is harder to push it out to people's followers if they don't really have a wide amount of followers. So, um, so with this oh sorry
0: no go ahead sorry so
1: This project is called uh, Minyan Yiddin or uh, a bunch of Jews and other stories and it's a collection of uh, Yiddish stories by Trina Robbins' father that he wrote in the 1930s and it's basically kind of like a uh, Will Eisner's a contract with god mm-hmm. and so Trina's translated it to English and there's 14 different artists hired to illustrate each one of the stories
0: That sounds awesome um, I'm looking at the page right now, and you've, uh, you, so you picked, it looks like you picked a longer than, uh, than average campaign time for this one. Um, there's 34 days left to go, and I think you launched like a, what, four or five days ago, maybe? A um,
1: uh, day and a half ago, oh, yeah. Day and,
0: okay, sorry. Um, what, what inspired doing the, the slightly longer uh, uh, time for this one?
1: Oh, at the time it was actually to uh, overlap a little bit with Moonshot, oh, okay, um, gotcha. because uh, I thought followers of Moonshot might be interested with the minion Yidin and vice versa, and so there could be a little bit of flow between uh, in regards to advertising and talking about the project. Gotcha. And uh, I think Moonshot ends tomorrow, and it just reached its goal. So.
0: Cool. Um, so I, I, this is a very this is kind of very interesting to me because I've also done projects with pretty big asks, and then other projects with smaller asks. And, and I've done, like, actually, I've done, like, the, my biggest project was still my first, you know. And so, and my uh, latest project is my smallest. Um, and there's, uh, you know, every once in a while, I, you know, you, I don't know where this pressure comes from, but there's, there is that kind of feeling of, like, oh, should, you know, should, should I be trying to, you know, Should I do a smaller thing or should I try to match a previous thing? And I always, you know, a split second later, I'm like, I'm just going to do the thing that makes (laughs) sense for this project. Um, I mean, have you had any, I mean, it it seems like you're taking the kind of same strategy. You're, you're, you're scaling things to match the project at hand. Um, Has that come to mind? Like in terms of how you, how you build these or how you choose? Yeah,
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, so um, for Fashion Action, I had done it the same way I'd done all my other previous projects, which is I would add a little bit to each one of my budget amounts in order to compensate for any project uh, problems that might happen along the way. Right. And I found that the goal for Fashion Action um, was maybe a little bit too high. And so I tried to think of ways that I would have a bit less stress during my next campaign so I looked at ways in which I could lower the overall amount needed. Right. Um, yeah. And so for this project, uh, it was a black and white comic, so that automatically changes your print cost a lot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I decided yeah. to do soft cover instead of a hard cover. Again, that definitely lowers the amount needed. And I decided to look at a few other printers just to get varying quotes, and I found one that was uh, significantly lower by I think about two thousand dollars.
0: Yeah, which makes uh, a in huge In
1: addition difference. to that, oh yeah. And most of the artists on the project are receiving the normal small press uh, page rate fee, um, which is, you know, lower than what you'd expect from a larger publisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in exchange, they're getting a share of net profits as well as uh, royalties on this project, which is uh, new to me for the project.
0: Okay. So. And that's with Aminian Yedin, right?
1: Yes, that's for many
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I went through a similar kind of uh, thought process when Tak and I were um, planning ABC Disgusting, tak, uh, tak Miyazawa, and I did the children's book, ABC Disgusting. And um, the initial budget um, just felt like a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I lowered the print quantity, too. I usually uh, did all my budgets on a 1,000-quantity print run, and I did for this one on 500. And both me and Trina waived uh, any payment um, that comes from the Kickstarter, except for the Net Profit, right. if there is any.
0: How did you get hooked up with Trina? She's a legend.
1: Uh, yeah, um, well, we're both comic book historians, so there that was go. pretty much inevitable, I think. And uh, she focuses on female characters and uh, uh, creators in comics. And I did know about Northern Lights, which is one of the first female characters in comics as a superhero. So... Yeah, I think it's uh, inevitable. And this year we're at San Diego hanging by the pool, which we've done two years in a row so far, (laughs) which is a nice way to spend San Diego, to be honest. And uh, she mentioned she had a project and it sounded interesting. So she sent me a pitch and I decided to move uh, around some stuff in my uh, anticipated Kickstarter schedule to kind of try to make it happen.
0: That's cool. Now, so yeah. Kickstarter is sort of—it's become just part of your business model. I mean, you've done five, uh, five on your own. You've been part of a few others, uh, uh, you know, as a work for hire as an editor. Um, do you see yourself continuing to do this? Is this like—is it a? Do you do you feel like it's a, it's a stable and it makes sense to keep doing these long term?
1: Uh, I guess it really depends on how things go in the future and how it goes on this project. Um, I've also started experimenting on doing projects through my publishing company that are outside of Kickstarter. And it's definitely possible, though the amount you can kind of do on your own is much more limited,
0: mm-hmm. which is
1: unfortunate. And you also don't have the ability to test out the market first, but like you do with Kickstarter, which is a huge thing.
0: Yeah, you get your uh, so
1: you're kind of yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm you're sorry. just producing content on blind faith.
0: Right. Yeah. Like with Kickstarter, you can know, oh, okay, I've got X hundred Supporters, I can print that much and then I can overprint a little bit for uh, for cons, etc But uh, yeah, and you
1: know that people want the book And so if I just put in $14,000 in this book, not that I have $14,000 It's a printed and you know, it didn't sell any copies. Well, that's not something that will enable me to keep publishing books Right, so if for some reason this project doesn't get funded and, you know, I've, I've done a good amount of work into it. I haven't done my press outreach yet, but I've reached out to my audience. It's a strong concept. Uh, there's preview work done. All those boxes are checked. Check. If it doesn't reach its goal, it's because the market can't support it right now. And that's good to know now before I sink, you know, more thousands of dollars into it.
0: Right, right, right. Um, how, much, how much art do you try to get before you actually launch a Kickstarter?
1: Uh, It depends. On the reprint projects, it's definitely good to have as much art as humanly possible. Um, For the anthology projects, only what I can fund out-of-pocket in advance or friends offer it to me for free, Mm -hmm. uh, which they do sometimes because, you know, they take a risk on you. But I try not to ask for free artwork. Uh, I think I had done that for Van and Northern Lights and then Brock Windsor. Some people donated artwork and some people uh, received payment for artwork depending on what they themselves wanted or asked for. Gotcha. Um, and then every project from that on was all paid for artwork. Gotcha. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, so you pay... I try a, to have the cover oh, done. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go on. You try to have the cover done? Oh, there, I try
1: see? to have the cover done, for sure. That's yeah. the, the biggest thing because it's hard to advertise a project if you just have text and an idea.
0: All right. Here's a really specific thing. How do you handle... I've had this frustration a little bit where the cover is really designed to be seen vertically, but then uh, Kickstarter and web images really want to be seen horizontally. You know, like, is that a, how how have you tackled that?
1: I'm I'm literally looking at my Kickstarter profile page now, and uh, all the images are squashed and like stretched. (laughs) So honestly, Kickstarter definitely has some uh, flaws on its back end. Like there's a thing that right now my goal is $14,000, but if I just, needed to raise money for the uh, cost of production it would be like maybe four thousand dollars. It's the shipping that's the biggest problem. Oh yes. Yeah. That it doesn't uh, you can now charge for shipping um, for your items but the money doesn't go into like a separate fund or something it goes towards your goal so you still have to guess at how much shipping will be. Right. Which is kind of frustrating and it should be a simple enough fix in my opinion. Other things uh, you can't edit the project on your phone
0: Oh, Which, that's funny. I don't
1: know. Have you been able to do that? No, I mean, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm
0: old enough that I don't like to edit on my phone, do stuff like that on my phone anyway. You know, I got I I pretty
1: gotta, much everything on my phone. So it was so frustrating to be. You can't edit it. You can't view back a report. So if I'm traveling and I don't have my laptop with me and uh, someone asked me a question about their funding level. I can't check that up on my phone. Oh right,
0: I hadn't even thought so. of that. Yeah, because I automatically like I'll 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 get a message that somebody is a issue or a question on my phone, and then you know when I have time I open up my laptop and I and that, that's where I handle it. And I I never even thought about trying to handle it on my phone because I'm such a luddite when it comes to doing that kind of work on my phone. Um, yeah, that I can see that be annoying. That's uh, that's. Uh, uh, have you have you have you emailed Kickstarter to suggest an improvement there?
1: Oh, we we talk every so often. Um, so I don't know if uh, I think I've complained that about that on a public panel actually once, because <laughs> um, I tend to to say if it's on my head. Right. But uh, yeah, no. Hopefully they get it fixed. I definitely have a few opinions on things like that. Like especially like now looking at the the artwork being squished. I must have spent. Hours formatting the artwork for the Kickstarter because every screen I uh, looked the project on, it looked different, uh, like significantly so.
0: Yeah, that's a challenge with uh, with with these things which are you know being looked at on many many different uh, kinds of devices. Interesting. Yes, absolutely. So, um, so now you so now you are a small press publisher. Um, is that something that came about because of your Kickstarter projects? Is that, did it grow out of that, or was that the plan from the beginning?
1: No, definitely came out of Kickstarter. I wouldn't have been able to do any of the projects uh, without it, and I think I'm using Kickstarter in the way it was intended, which is it's make the project, but then after that, you're expected to do everything else on your own. Right. So it's just to give you that boost to get the project made. But if you want to have it in retail shops, if you want to do more news, if you want to use that as a springboard to other projects, you have to put that work in you can't just wait for it to happen automatically
0: right so um, with uh, uh, with that next step of uh, of uh, like you finished a Kickstarter you have now and now you have um, you finished multiple Kickstarters you've got uh, a variety of books I know you go to a lot of cons what's the the uh, uh, this is, I'm fascinated by this because I'm in the same boat. You know, I've done multiple Kickstarters. I've got multiple books and now I've got something to actually go to cons with to sell. Um, but then there's this bigger question also of like distribution and, and just what, what do you do with the book beyond the Kickstarter? I mean, we've, we've done this amazing thing of made, making these books and getting them out to the people who initially backed, but now it feels like there's still this potential to, to keep getting these books out in the world. What are, what, are, what's, what are some of your experiences and maybe some of your advice for that?
1: Well, I've done mine two ways, and uh, and that's ignoring the biggest way, which is to try to sell through Diamond, if mm-hmm. you have a comic book. Um, I did try that for Brock Windsor, and they rejected it, and so I didn't really, haven't tried again since, though I, I likely will try uh, gotcha. at a future point for fashion action. But for Secret Loves of Geek Girls and Nelvan of the Northern Lights, I did something a little bit unusual, and I licensed it after my print run was, you know, given away to the Kickstarter patrons, to a third-party publisher that would be able to take it worldwide.
0: Right. And that's... Uh, uh, is that Dark Horse for that one, or, is, or am I... Uh, i remembering uh,
1: No, Van Northern Lights was through IDW, and Secret Loves Geek Girls was through Dark Horse, yes. Gotcha. And that's when we in a few weeks, I think. That's huge. Uh, yeah, it is, and they're putting a lot of attention into it. It also gives me the ability to kind of test out different publishers, see what their style is like, see how they work. So if I ever did want to pitch a project to them, outside of Kickstarter, I have an idea of what their corporate culture is like.
0: Right. Now, how did you, how did you make those contacts to approach them? Did you, was, uh, is that something that you went out and pursued and tracked them down, or is that something that happened organically as the uh, campaigns went on, etc.?
1: Now, that was interesting because I had approached IDW to do it before the Kickstarter actually happened. I approached a few publishers um, about the project and uh, got rejected from a few of them. So John Quarterly rejected the project, uh, Fanographics rejected the project, and IDW actually rejected the project. And then I get an email in my inbox, I think halfway through the campaign, um, saying, oh, hey, it's IDW. We want to publish your project. I'm like, but you just rejected me. <laughs> well, so they- it was uh, a case that like, someone else had rejected me in the company, but the person who had approached me had no idea that it had been. Oh, broke, so.
0: OK, gotcha. That's funny. So
1: I thought, well, okay, we'll, we'll give it a try anyways. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of a funny way to start.
0: That's great, though. I mean, it, 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 that, that jibes with what I was talking to uh, Spike about, uh, Spike Trotman, we, we just talked the other day. And um, uh, it's that kind of a sense that people will come to... Sometimes these opportunities come when folks see that you have 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 something that people already want. You know what I mean? Like, at that point... You'd already, I mean, you'd already been funded at that point, right? Like you'd gotten, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, you had demonstrated this thing has an audience. Um, And that's, you know, when when people come to you, that's the best thing. (laughs) Definitely,
1: yeah. That's cool. For Secret Love Geek Girls, it was a little bit different. I actually decided to put some work into researching uh, different companies and it was very successful at the point that I was approaching companies. And I would actually look into what they were offering me and make a decision based on that. And so that's why I ended up going with Dark Horse, actually.
0: So did you talk to them? So you were talking to Dark Horse while your campaign was happening. Is that right?
1: Yeah, pretty sure. Because we were working the Angel Catford project, which is uh, uh, Mark and Atwood had approached me to pitch to them. So.
0: Right. Uh, see, that's brilliant. Um, I've been uh, uh, with... You know, with with uh, previous projects, I've usually been so wrapped up during the actual campaign that all I've been doing is doing that campaign and then doing the work for hire or other writing. You know, just taking care of my regular business of writing and uh, and uh, uh, on you know at the same time, I haven't been actively tracking down possible distributors or publishers during the campaign. But that's that, yeah, that's so obviously brilliant. That's when you should do it because that's when you've got the most attention, when, it's, uh, when exciting things are happening, when they can go there and in real time see people backing it. Um, that's very smart. Um, I'm going to steal
1: that the next time around. So <laughs> well, I don't think they said anything about um, like agreeing to it for like months afterwards. Uh, so I approached a, a few people and at the time of the project I was just kind of gathering intel by pitching it but it hadn't made up my mind myself and... So
0: yeah, but oh, you you mean you had oh, but the was your campaign live at that point though? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but, yeah, it was yeah, still yeah,
1: live. Yeah, yeah. But I was just approaching uh, publishers that uh, point. Right. I hadn't yet selected one. For oh sure. yeah,
0: yeah, but but still, that's a brilliant time to be approaching people because then they're like, oh, oh, hope, okay, let me. Well, I'm going to Google you and I'm going to go look at the project you're talking about. Oh, you know what I mean? Like it it it, it uh it sets you up in a in a very nice way. Um, I probably was talking to some folks a little too late. Like We actually did end up uh, distributing CodeMonkey through Diamond, and that was great. Um, but it was something like two years after the uh, the book had come out, had we'd already delivered to Kickstarter backers. Um, and if we'd done it a little, you know, if I'd been more organized and we had it coming out, you know, uh, closer to the time we delivered to Kickstarter backers, we would have been able to ride a little bit more of the uh, excitement from the initial campaign, I think, uh, and make it, you know, it would have saved uh saved some work. You know what I mean? I would have been able to to double up on uh the publicity and promotion and uh, and, and uh, but um but yeah we we do what we can do in the time we have to wait.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Like when you're um doing things yourself and usually we're all doing other work as well, it can be difficult to do everything perfectly. Right. But usually the people who create Kickstarters have the kind of personality that if it isn't done perfectly, they get agitated and nervous and anxious. So,
0: <laughs> so um, what's, the, what's, the, uh, what's the smartest thing you've ever done on a Kickstarter and what's your biggest mistake?
1: Uh, the smartest thing I ever did was ask Margaret Atwood if she wanted to draw cartoons for me. <laughs> so. Tell us
0: a little bit about that. That was for Secret Lives with Geek Girls, right?
1: Yeah, that was. Uh, she'd approached me on Twitter. We'd been talking back and forth. And she'd actually uh, signal boosted Brock Windsor and Nelvana in the Northern Light. Wow. when the were yeah. So yeah. we kind of had a bit of a reputation or a, a connection through that.
0: Right. That's uh, that's kind of similar to me doing the Code Monkey book with Jonathan Colton. Uh, it certainly is helpful to. Uh, have uh, an internet superstar musician or a uh, uh, or a giant of world literature <laughs> involved with your Kickstarter, um, uh, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, and then, uh, so uh, regarding that, did that help you? I mean, clearly that must have helped get press. Did it? Um, uh, did you get different kinds of press than you'd gotten for other um, for other projects because of her involvement? And how did you how did oh, you yeah. work that?
1: I had much bigger press as a, as a result of that. Everyone wanted to have the front page uh, kind of headline of Margaret Atwood is creating a comic book, um, which, you know, was always inaccurate. She was just doing a few cartoons in it. But still, it was enough to get it on like New York Times and similar types of, of websites, which was huge.
0: Fantastic. And
1: uh, even in like local Toronto blogs that were like fairly big, like News News, which Nelvana had also made it in, but actually more so after the project had completed and nelvana kind of even still to this day i get the occasional like request for uh, for a news article and that on the project
0: um
1: yeah but poor brock windsor didn't didn't get much at all <laughs>
0: why is that do you think
1: uh, there's no hook there Nelvana northern lights it's uh one of the very first female superheroes in comics she's an inuit woman it's like a big canadian comic that people have actually heard of it's uh, the animation company is named after her there's a lot of hooks there to drive people brock windsor is just a really nice looking old comic book
0: (laughs) gotcha so it's but it has the canadian hook but it's just not as uh it's not as well known and it doesn't have as many sort of niche audiences that you could reach out to is that the is that the thought
1: yeah exactly and secret loves had a good hook margaret atwood was in it but also it was you know female nerds telling their stories about love and dating that's that's pretty decent. I think it would get funded even without Margaret's involvement, but definitely made it so that I, I don't think I had to really reach out to any press in that project. They just all approached me. So
0: that's very nice. Um, so when you are, uh, when you're, when you're sort of, I mean, clearly you're thinking about these projects, you're thinking about, you know, who you could reach out to. Do you do that kind of a thing where you, you know, start Googling and find internet groups and websites that have a similar, you know, have an interest in the material you're looking at and cold call them or cold email them. Have you, have you done that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. For both Nelvan and Brock Windsor, the majority of my funding came in through a collector's website. So guys who collected old 1940s comics. And so I said, I have a reprint and they were very excited about it.
0: That's pretty cool. And you just found those online. Like you found these collectors websites and, were they, yep. can, were they specifically Canadian or were they just...
1: Uh... No, just just uh, just general, I think, uh, 1940s penny kind of collectors. So there was two websites, forums that I did posts on there and both had a big impact on the project.
0: Awesome. Um, all right, and then so what was your worst Kickstarter mistake?
1: Um, let's see. Uh, I wouldn't do slipcases again. I did slipcase for Brock Windsor and Nelvan of the Northern Lights and it was hard to kind of keep them together and they were very expensive to do. Hmm. And if you needed to reprint any more of them, it cost uh, just crazy amount of money because you only got a decent deal if you did them all at once. Right. So for both cases, I ended up having to pay 50 bucks per extra uh, bookcase for a new one. And that was a huge
0: chunk of change. Wait a minute, $50 per book? No. Yeah. What? Oh my god. How many extra books did you have to print like that?
1: Um, about twenty.
0: Oh boy, that's <laughs> yeah, that's scary, scary, scary. So the um, uh, you were the first person I actually heard about Indisha from, and uh, I have to thank you big time for that because you said Indisha while we were, I think we we're at the Dallas Comic Con, uh, and uh, we were like sitting back. You- having, what's that?
1: That was just a few months ago. Exactly,
0: I know. I'm a very late, late comer to Indicia because um, with my previous Kickstarters, we went through fulfillment houses to send the stuff out. Um, okay. But uh, as I was gearing up for Kickstarter, and I had, I had done individual mailings of, uh, uh, of, uh, of you know, like replacement books and, and, uh, uh, special orders later on down the line on my own. Um, but I hadn't, you know, really, I'd just been doing that on the fly. And so I'd just been using the usps.com website, um, which is just really clunky to use and you don't get the kind of discount you get from Indicia. Uh, so after I talked to you about Indicia, I was like, okay, good. And I went and did it. And, um, as a result, it became very easy for me to fulfill the physical rewards for the Kickstarter secrets, um, Campaign uh, on my own in like four or five hours. Um, You know, there were like 60 or 70 Packages to send out and it was pretty easy Um, But uh, so tell us about fulfillment. Uh, I mean you've you've done kickstarters of various sizes uh, And I'm curious whether you know, you've done have you done some of them all on your own or have you you know Just in terms of shipping and everything uh, uh, And have you used fulfillment houses and what kind of advice would you have?
1: I've done them all on my own Wow (laughs) Yeah. Every single project, thousands and thousands and thousands of books shipped. Oh my god! I like doing that part. Just like I know it's, it's strange that I, I like to do the PR and press and spreadsheets and budget. I really like doing the shipping. I don't know what it is about it, but uh, just the other day I was uh, in a hotel room in North Dakota, busy packaging up all of these things to ship out and i just felt just a, a nice sense of calmness and <laughs> happiness it was good contentment
0: no i totally understand i think that's important right it's like if you're going to do a kickstarter you, you have to wear so many different hats and um and and it's kind of important to be able to kind of accept that you know you, you have to be into it you know i i i've had the same kind of feeling uh with uh uh, with, with shipping stuff, it's just kind of satisfying to put together your little stack and get it at the door. Also because like, sometimes yeah, like,
1: it you, is. we can see them. Yeah, physical.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And when you're so, and I, you know, I find too, it's like, you know, I write hours and hours every day. Um, but there are certain points where my brain kind of gets full, you know what I mean? And I need, I need, you know, having a physical task is actually really helpful sometimes just to, because I, I get to still feel productive. Um, but I, uh, I can kind of let my brain work in a different way for a while. So, you know, so yeah, be- exactly. now, have you ever been overwhelmed with all of that though? Because you've had, you know, some Kickstarters that have gone through the roof and you've had tons and tons of packages sent send out, right?
1: Yeah. Um, yes. Mostly due to bad timing. So our printer on the first project, Novana, was late. And this normally wouldn't be a problem except for that it was supposed to come in a week before uh, I was traveling to TCAF and TCAF was going to be the big premiere of the book. Right. And so because it was late, uh, not only, and I was in Winnipeg at the time where the, um, where the printer was, I also had to do U.S. shipping. The only way I could do U.S. shipping is to go to the U.S. and do the shipping there. So uh, the books had arrived or finished printing about four days no, three days before, I had to leave for Toronto. So I, I drove all the way to the small town where the printer was, or my mother did, because I don't know how to drive, which is, would be a good thing to learn how to do <laughs> for Kickstarter and mailing mainly purposes. And uh, the, the printer was late, and so a few hours later, we finally left the small town with a bunch of books um, on the back of the truck to ship to the States. And uh, they promised to send the rest to Toronto as quick as possible to get there before uh, TCAP. So, yeah, so I, we had to drive all night, or not all night, but we had to drive across the border to the States and then stay up in a hotel room all night, packaging the books up individually oh and uh, printing out the shipping labels, which luckily, which I also had to learn how to do. And we kept running out of ink, and so we would have to go to Target. uh, That was open 24 hours, ordered to buy new ink for the printer. I think we had to buy a new printer, too, at one point. (laughs) Uh, And also the envelopes we had bought for the books, which we hadn't tested because we didn't have the books yet, turned out to be too small. So they had to cut open the envelope and tape them together. So, uh, yeah, I guess that was a shipping nightmare, pretty much. (laughs) That, but I learned from it. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's great. Well, and uh, well, it was good bonding time with mom, right?
1: Yeah, she's she's very good at shipping, so that's good. <laughs> um, she's taught me a lot of things I know about shipping. And uh, since then, I've taught her a few things as well because I've access to things that she doesn't have for shipping. So oh, things okay. like a special priority Canada to post rates, oh, yeah. uh, knowing what border forms to fill out if you need to go across the border to ship books from the States, which is a huge thing. Shipping in Canada would be between sixteen and twenty bucks,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and shipping to the states is two to four bucks.
0: Right. So, how do you? So, what's the what's the short version of that? How do you? How do you? How, what's your what's your uh, strategy for dealing with all that?
1: Well, if you have under twenty five hundred dollars of uh, content, you just fill out a border form online. You put the contact information as your distributor. That's wherever you're shipping them from. Um, so. I wouldn't recommend packaging them all up before you go across the border because uh, then you would have to fill out a form for each one, which would take forever. So best address them to your distributor and take them all down once, then do the packaging there is my personal opinion. Gotcha. But there are some places. So in um, Toronto, there's actually a shipping place where they will actually take it across the border for you. So all you have to do is print the postage using a program like Indicia and put it on the package, and they'll ship it. Uh huh. So that's a lot easier. So we had to do that for Secret Loves of Geek Girls because we got rejected from the border because we had over twenty five hundred dollars worth of uh, content to ship.
0: Oh, okay, gotcha. And
1: it was already pre packaged that time, so I didn't have the time to pack them all overseas. Uh, they said we would need a print brokerage and or a, a, a border brokerage, and we couldn't find one. And so we ended up driving. To the place to drop them off. They charged you, I think, 75 cents a package, which is still saving a lot of money. Yeah. And they got out there. So that was a huge relief. But a lot of it is just kind of trying to figure out things on the fly.
0: Gotcha. What's the name of the place in Toronto that does that? Chit Chats Express. Chit Chats Express. Gotcha. Yes.
1: I haven't found one in uh, local in Manitoba, unfortunately, but North Dakota is in very far away that so we just arrived across.
0: Gotcha. So now what's the um when you look at the breakdown, what percentage of your backers come from, Do you have a disproportionate number of your backers coming from Canada? Uh, uh, or what, what are the breakdowns? Canada versus U.S. versus international?
1: I mean, it depends on the project. So uh, I'll just take a look right now because I have them in front of me. Um, let's see. Oh, wait, no, I don't have them in front of me, do, that? do I? No, I don't. Um, cool. So I think for Nelvan, it was mostly Canadian. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was something like... 45% um, Canadian and something like 30% American, and then a good portion of international as well. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and Secret Loves, I think, was mostly American, actually.
0: Gotcha. So for, for the, the books that are going to Canada, clearly you're mailing out of Canada. Um, do, you do, <laughs> do you do the international books out of, uh, out of Canada or the U.S.?
1: I've done it both ways. If you ship out of uh, America, it will get there quicker, but if you ship out of Canada, it's cheaper. Aha, gotcha. Yeah,
0: yeah. The um, uh, it, with with my projects, I think usually about ten percent uh, are Canada, ten um, to fifteen percent, and then another five percent or so is international, and the rest is the U.S. Um, but yeah, Canada is always you know it's it's a significant chunk there. Um, I was very happy when uh, Kickstarter allowed for specifying different uh, postage prices for different regions. Um, Because before you could only do, you know, it it was complicated, right? And so we had a, uh, you had to like create different uh, uh, backer categories if you were going to do, you know, a separate thing for international and for Canada. Um, Oh, yeah,
1: I just estimated it. For Nelvana, that's one of the reasons it was so high in that I didn't know how many people would be funding from international or Canada or the States. So when I factored in the shipping price into the pledged level, because you couldn't add a, a separate shipping price, right? I had, I think I it was either ten to twelve, no, it was twelve dollars that I added on to the print price and other costs. So.
0: Oh, so f- so for Novana, you didn't have a separate one for international and for domestic. It was just a flat price, but you kind of averaged it out to try to figure. Yeah. Out. Oh, okay, so basically, your international backers got a pretty sweet deal. So <laughs> They got a cheaper shipping than it probably actually cost you.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: That is funny. Um, All right. Well, cool. Let me see if there's uh, uh, I think I've asked you most of the stuff I had on my list here. Is there – what have I forgotten? Is there anything – any other special advice you'd have for folks planning Kickstarters?
1: Oh, um, yeah. If you can get someone involved in your project that has good social media background, definitely I recommend getting them involved in it. That always is a big help. So that's been a big help for Nelvana, Secret Loves. Uh, which have been my most funded projects, um, Fashion Action and Minion and Brock Windsor had much lower kind of social media presence uh, because they had people who were not as well known attached, okay. and that definitely affected the funding levels.
0: Right. So you're talking about like when you like like having uh, not you're not talking about hiring. Uh, a publicist. You're talking about just the folks who are involved in your project. Like if you're doing an anthology, having a person who has a big social media presence who's contributing in the anthology is a is a bonus. Is that is that what you're talking? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. That seems like uh, having uh, uh, folks um, who are willing to spread the word is key. Did you did I mean when you're working on projects, do you specifically give people times to talk about it? Do you give them talking points or anything like that or Or do you leave that to them?
1: I usually leave it to them. Uh, For projects, if there's a tweet that's going popular, I might send that around to the contributors, ask them to signal boost it with a retweet. So things like that kind of sometimes help because then you have more of a chance of getting it. um, As uh, on Twitter, when a lot of people retweet the same link, it gives a notification to a lot of the people that, hey, you might be interested in this. So.
0: Gotcha. Oh, here's one other question I forgot to ask. Um, with different uh, I mean, I, you and I are both talking about Twitter all the time. Have you used other social media uh, platforms and do you find them effective?
1: I use a bit of Facebook, but I don't really get much um, kind of Push out of that, really, uh, except for the first project, which I think was a lot of my friends were just excited to help out. Right. But after that, they're like, okay, you can do this on your own, which uh, <laughs> is absolutely the case. If your core audience is just your friends and family, that's not really recommended.
0: Right. But that's, you know, but that uh, for your first one, that makes a lot of sense. You want to you wanna make the most of that to, you know, build that credibility and hopefully then yeah. bring in other folks to, uh, to help keep things going later on down the line.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a huge thing, a huge help for your first project for sure.
0: I hear people talking about Instagram all the time now. Like, uh, I mean, that's—I uh, think Instagram actually has more users than Twitter now. Have you had any luck with Instagram?
1: I have like maybe three hundred followers on Instagram. Uh, I mostly use it for friends and family, to be honest. Right. The thing about Instagram is though that you can't put a link in. Exactly.
0: Right. Your I yeah. know, I know. And so I, I just, you know, I talked to friends who are using it. And, you know, for a lot of folks, it just works really well. A lot of online stores use it. Um, but I think it's like, you know, they're, they're posting all the time. And then folks who they're, they're basically depending on people to click on their profile and then click on a link in their profile. Uh, which I guess, you know, I mean, that's, that's clearly working for folks, but I haven't had, uh, yeah, I, I think I just haven't devoted enough time to it to, uh, build up the kind of, uh, audience there that would, that I'd see pay off. What about Tumblr? Have you ever, have you used Tumblr much?
1: No, no. So that's the thing. Like it's whatever social media platform you're more experienced with, it's not the platform itself. So some people use Tumblr all the time and have a huge following, but they might not have a following on Twitter or Instagram because they haven't been as involved in it. So I you see. really just have to identify what social media platform you use the best. Um, Tumblr, I, I don't ever use. In fact, I just delete my account because I don't even use it for promotional purposes anymore. But for many campaigns, it really makes or breaks the campaign.
0: Interesting, yep. Um, all right, Hope, this has been awesome. Any, other, any final thoughts for us?
1: Uh, no, just make sure you get an accountant because you don't want to have to deal with the uh, end of you know, your taxes on your own.
0: There you go. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, my uh, I, uh, I have a chapter which about legal and accounting stuff, which uh, in the book, which is going to say basically very, very important. I can't give you advice because I'm not a lawyer or an accountant, but get those people. Uh, you will need them. Uh, so thank you so much. Hope it has been awesome. Thank you. And that's it for today's podcast. We'll be back soon with another interview. In the meantime, feel free to check out Kickstarter-Secrets.com and look for Hope Online at HopeNicholson.com and Hope L. Nicholson on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and see you next time. Information in this podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Pac-Man Productions does not guarantee or warrant the accuracy, appropriateness, completeness, safety, or usefulness of any information. In particular, nothing in this podcast should be taken as legal advice or legal opinion. Users are always advised to consult with a lawyer regarding any legal question. The opinions expressed by interviewees are theirs alone and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Greg Pac or Pac-Man Productions. All content copyright 2016 Pac-Man Productions. Music composed and performed by David Libby. D A V I D L I B B Y dot net.